Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hi there, everybody, and welcome uh, to today's program. Uh, once again, I'm happy that you were able to join in. And, um, well, today is Educators Panel Day. Uh, as always, one of the more uh, exciting programs uh, of the month. Although I must say, I thought that uh, any town high school last week was pretty darn exciting too and if you didn't get a chance to listen to it uh you wanna it's the uh january 31st program of collaborative problem solving at school and um that's a group of uh educators in a particular school um once again location undisclosed identities undisclosed but believe me a real high school uh in a real uh city in real north america um, wanting to get good at collaborative problem solving and um, being taught about collaborative problem solving and practicing it in a way that permits other people to join in and hear as well. Uh, and of course, that is the whole point, isn't it? To try to help as many people as possible understand uh, kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges better and to try to implement uh, interventions like collaborative problem solving that make sense given what we now know about why kids have social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. Of course, that's the point of Lives in the Balance, the uh, nonprofit organization I founded and that's uh, sponsoring this program, but also the point of the program. Uh, so these are your 45 minutes. This is your chance to join in, uh, ask questions, get the support you need, or, as always, just listen uh, to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. Uh, let me give you the call-in number again. It's 646-727-2691. And, as always, if you're not the calling-in type, you can always send a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. And that is www.livesinthebalance.org. So today is Educators Panel Day. And, um, you know, on my switchboard and first of all, I want to say how happy I am to be doing this from my office today. Last week's program for parents took place in front of a Dunkin' Donuts during a snowstorm from my car, and it was never exactly clear if the cell connection was going to uh, hold out or whether the juice in my laptop were going to hold out. Both sort of did, but um, much nicer, I must say, to be doing this from the uh, comfort of my own uh, office um, and uh with my big screen in front of me and with my laptop plugged in. Uh, but we've got our educators panel, so enough of that. 
I know we have one of our educators on right now, and that's calling from area code 716. Who we got here, Kate or Alicia? Yeah, it's Kate. We got Kate. So yeah. now I got this other, how are you today? I'm good, how are you? I am well. Um, now let me bring on our other caller, and I'm not sure who this is because no area code is showing up. So you and I are both in for an adventure now. <laughs> Let me bring that person on. You are on the air as well. Who else do we have here? Do we have Alicia or Tom on the air with us? We seem not to. So I'm going to take those folks off the air, and we'll have to hope that uh, Alicia and uh Tom are able to call in. I know that Basel is not going to be able to join us today. So, Kate, anything interesting coming up in your travels uh, in the collaborative problem-solving territories since the last educators panel? Um, I, I have a success story. If you'd like to hear Love that, to hear it. You're on. <laughs> I have um, a student who is in third grade who has since kindergarten. I've been working with him on um, classroom problems with his behavior, and just um, last week, well, in the last couple weeks, the teacher and I have been sitting down and um, with mom, and he's, he's in a, an after-school program that we have here at school, and I had shared with mom um, the ALSEP, because some of the things that she was explaining about or reporting on what were happening at the after-school program, I thought sounded very predictable. But to her, she kept she was feeling like, um, you know, I don't know why he keeps this keeps happening. You know, they were they're always, you know, calling with concerns and um, and so we we sat together and we looked at the some of the items and I pointed a few things out I say you know you just said this and if you look <laughs> if you look here you, you keep saying the same thing so she took that home and um and through talking with her she was saying you know you I never really realized the difference between um just the language that my husband is using versus the language that I'm using when we're talking with him about what's going on at, in class or in the program but she said, I realized that the way my husband is speaking with him, he's more of, the child is more of, you know, collaborating. It, whereas when she's doing it, it was very plan A. And mm-hmm. she hadn't really realized that. Um, and I was just excited in, in talking with her about that. And then um, the young boy and I were talking, and we we have strategies and we have all these things that, you know, we've been talking about for years. But we invited um, the director from his after-school program to come in. And the three of us sat together and made her part of that conversation where he explained to her um, the plan that he and I had come up with and invited her to be part of that plan. And then she got to share, you know, from her aspect of where his problems were and he was able to give his input. It's been working fabulously in his classroom with his teacher and now um, 
he's earned his way back into some of the activities that he had been, quote, suspended out of in that after-school program because he buys into it. I mean, he he feels so important, I think is the word. I, I just can't. I was so proud of him when we role-played what the conversation was going to be like. So when I, I just was so amazed at the difference just by them trying this at home and us tying it into every environment that he's in. That's outstanding. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. Well, and I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great feeling, too, when you see – I think the best feeling is when you start to learn more about a kid. And he and by the way, we've been joined uh, uh, by Tom, our principal from Maine. So Tom, welcome to the program today. Hello, how are you, Ross? How are you? I'm doing well. And we have Kate on with us too. We Alicia is at the moment missing in action, and Basil was a known um, scratch for today's program. <laughs> um, and I hope a healthy scratch, as it's known. I think in the uh, what business is that? Racing, horse racing. Um, but what a you know I'm always thrilled when I'm hearing about a kid's concerns and learning something about the kid that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm especially thrilled when I'm seeing the looks on the adult on the faces of the adults who are learning. I mean, my experience always is that the kid's concern is legitimate mm-hmm. and there's something going on that we didn't know about, something that was getting in his way, something that was hard for him or scary or something. Um, but uh, it's always really cool to see the look on the adults' faces when they learn about this kid and find out that he isn't who they thought he was. Mm-hmm. But that often doesn't happen unless you're doing the empathy step and learning that stuff. And the kid will continue to confirm your existing misconceptions about him if right. all you're doing is plan A. Yes, and in this case, um, you know, they the after school program and they serve a lot of kids and, and they said you know, they were very we have rules, these are our rules, he needs to follow our rules, he's not following our rules. <laughs> and then when he was able to say to her, um, you know, here he was taking responsibility for what he recognized he wasn't doing. But then he was saying to her in just the most, he was just so, I don't think she'd ever heard him express himself so well. He was so polite about it, and he just felt so proud of his ownership. You know, here are the things that you guys are doing that I don't like. <laughs> you know, um, you're you're telling me I'm kicked out of the gym every day for whipping the ball, but ten other kids are whipping the ball too, and you don't notice. And that's when he would lose his temper, and and she was very willing to you know to listen. And they sat there. I just mediated and came up with a plan of a certain signal of, to signal him what he would do. You know how he would use what strategy would he use? And he he felt comfortable enough at the end to um, because she was so responsive to this boy that she had never. I don't think she'd ever seen before, really. He just had expressed himself so well, and and they agreed on the plan. And I checked in with them, and I today actually, and I said, "How's it going?" He said, "I'm back in the gym. Things are going great." 
What more you can know, you it's ask interesting. For? Something you said is that, yeah, kids will tell you what it is that you're doing that you don't like, that they don't like. Yeah. Many adults are not particularly interested in hearing that, especially if it's a kid who exhibits challenging behavior. But I find that so adults sometimes need to be reassured that we aren't just listening to the kids' concerns. And this is not just a airing of grievances um, and the kid gets to say whatever he wants. Um, this is an airing of concerns, but don't worry, adult. Your turn is coming, too. I find that when adults know that their turn is coming, they have an easier time listening to um, the kids' concerns. So long as they feel reasonably certain that their time will come and that their concerns will be addressed as well. If, if adults kind don't like, have that, I think they get scared and their attitude is, why am I listening to this kid um, air his grievances? What is this about him, this kid, this kid who can't behave himself? We're going to listen to him? I would go even as far as to say that the nonverbal language can convey this kid who's an idiot or a loser. I mean, I, I was talking with my staff the other day, Ross, and, and I, I just said, I said, if you have to know that kids know if you don't like them. They know. They can feel it in the air. They, they, I hate to be as nebulous as to say they get the vibes, but they do. And they tend to err on the side of assuming that adults don't like them, especially at-risk kids. And I think it's really important to recognize that uh, the the energy with which the conversation occurs is just as important in the empathy step in some ways as the skills. Well, I guess the the energy of it is a skill, isn't it? Sure. The 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 I remember hearing Kim Hopkins say that being very planful about when to meet with a kid to talk about a problem is 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 important. And Kim Hopkins, just for those who don't know who listen to the program, is somebody who does some training, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, on the collaborative problem-solving approach with uh, some of the schools in Maine that uh, are part of a project that we have. Um, yeah, there's a lot of nonverbal stuff we do with kids that let them know that even though it looks like we're sitting there listening, we're dismissing a lot of what they're saying. Um, Eye-rolling does that. Um, Huffing and puffing does that. Um, you know, there is this whole leap for many adults of coming to the recognition that, number one, kids' concerns are legitimate. That's a leap. And number two, they're worth listening to. That's a leap. And here's a big leap. Sometimes kids express those concerns in ways that are not exactly as polit politically correct as we might wish. That's a big leap. Um, but, Kate, sounds like you're telling us about a kid who not only was he expressing his concerns in a way that was pretty politically correct, but an adult who didn't know him very well was um, quite amazed at what was coming out of his mouth. Right. And I will say, too, that um, that was part of the reason why um, I role-played with him. With the, I had a, actually had an intern, and we role-played, and, um, and then I met with her separately first, because I wanted her to know that that actually was his perception, and I said it in a gentle way, but the parents kind of felt like you know you're that you're really fed up with him and and 
she did say to me, no, I really, really want this. <laughs> I really like him. But I think she realized that maybe she was giving off some of those vibes. You know, she was being very plan A, and the rules are the rules, and there's, you know. And and that and I think that set the stage for them to come together. But one of the other things that um, she did that, that adults do, I think, that give off that signal is in our conversation when he asked um, – he, he his demeanor changed a little because he got a little nervous. He said, I wanted to ask, when am I going to be able to go back and not be suspended in the gym? And at that point, she turned to me and, and as if he wasn't there, said, see, that's what I'm talking about. He, you know, that's one of the areas that I'm still worried about. And I had to redirect her. You know, he's the one sitting right next to you. Just keep talking to him. And I think, you know, adults do that. They do that. We all do that. You know, we, we talk as if the child's not right there. Um, And she did. She came right back to him, and I said, okay, but tell him that, because he doesn't know what he has to do to get back in the gym. That's what he's figuring out with you. And she did, and she took that prompt, and they worked it out. But um, that's exactly – he was getting the vibe, even actually during our – Role play, he said to my intern when she answered him, he said, you're going to have to say it a lot meaner than that because that's not how they talk to mm-hmm. me. They're meaner when they talk to me, you know. Um, and that was that's what he was getting, that's what he was getting from it. And he was able to express a lot of it in a, in a very, in a way they've never seen because when they see him, when they're trying to talk him down, they're plan C all the time, mm-hmm. you know. He's already blown up in the gym, and they're like, "See, you're doing it again. There we go again." You know, so right. it was nice. It worked out nice. Good, Tom. Any uh, any uh, adventures in collaborative problem solving territories this week? I've got a few emails that we might want to respond to during the program as well. But I'm always happy to hear what's going on in your buildings and in in what you all are doing with collaborative problem solving. Any uh, tales to tell? Well, I think that. The only the biggest tale that I have to tell is just that it's really exciting to see my staff is uh, has finished reading the book, and I, I think the thing that I wanted to mention today, Ross, is that it has become clear to me uh, how important the administrator's role is in ensuring that collaborative problem solving is effective. If the administrator supports it, makes it a priority, and provides the time and structure for teachers to learn how to do it well then the teachers start to see significant results. And I've noticed that uh, <clears throat> it's not just for kids. I mean, it works from adult to adult. So I, I, I had a conversation with the parent this morning, and I used collaborative problem solving with the parent, and it worked really, it worked incredibly well. Uh, so I just, I guess I, I wanted to say that uh, the, the time that it takes to create a schedule to talk about collaborative problem solving regularly and to, to build the skills is, is time well spent. Well, and that's the hard part, of course, because I don't know any setting in which people are more pressed for time than schools, um, and nor do I know any setting where more people have more being put on them more of the time than in schools. It's almost like, as a nation, we've decided that anything that's the matter with the nation is either the fault of the political party that we do not belong to or schools, teachers. Um, and um, 
a lot of people aren't terribly uh, aware of just what the conditions are in a lot of schools these days. And, you know, it varies so much from school to school. All the all schools have the same pressures being put on them to uh, make annual yearly progress and do well on statewide mandated testing. But um, some schools are much better positioned to be able to meet those goals than others. Other schools that I've worked with had so many kids who were so far behind and had so many difficulties and challenges that their capacity just to keep their heads above water was greatly compromised just by, and then when you add to that time demands and when you add to that funding cuts that almost every school system in the country is still grappling with and probably will be for quite some time, um, the very fascinating uh, scenario um, to try to be extending oneself to listen to an at-risk kid but one whose behavior is very unpleasant and very hard to deal with, to continue to be empathic toward that kid and to continue to try to hear what he has to say. It's very hard. It is very hard. And, and it's even harder when, when, the, when the individual who needs to have the empathy doesn't have the skills with empathy or drilling for information. Right. So, so I think that part of it is it goes back to what you said in your book, Ross. You know, it's not just for the students. We don't, we would, we don't want to lose good teachers. And by teaching them the skills to, to be um, – the way I put it to my staff is it's making explicit the things that work when you're on your A game, but you didn't realize you were doing them. So you, when you're having a great day with kids and things are going really well, it's, it's recognizing what it is that you're doing, which almost always includes empathy, and then, and then being able to recognize when you're not doing that and then do it consciously. So it's, well, you know, it's an interesting thing because um, a lot of people um, deal with collaborative problem solving as if, it, as if the ingredients are um, technical, when in fact the ingredient of the empathy step is gathering information so as to understand the kid's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem. Yeah. And that's something we ought to be doing. We, we ought to be, you know, I, this, I'm going to make this political just briefly and probably um, probably not the ideal direction to go in. But I said this to a um, group that I was speaking to this weekend. I've been, you know, watching the events in Egypt unfold. And, of course, we only know what we read in our news media, so it's a little bit hard to get the perfect sense of what's going on there. But from all appearances, it, it seems that we have a nation of people that is yearning to have the freedom to say what it wants to say. We have a nation of people who want to express their concerns, to put in the phraseology of collaborative problem solving. So it's a rather fascinating thing that there are people in a foreign country who are willing to die for that right. And of course, our forefathers are for. Our four parents, we don't want to be gender-specific there, died for that right, the right to be able to express your concern and perspective, which is precisely the first ingredient of the empathy step. So the paradox there that um, we in this country, where we take a lot of that stuff for granted, do often teach 
treat kids as if their concern or perspective is of little import to us, and we often do things that are um, dismissive of those concerns, continues to fascinate me. I mean, I, I always view the world through those lenses, and here I am watching these people in Egypt who have been um, under this regime where they don't feel like they have the right to express their concern or perspective, and I'm thinking to myself, look at how we sometimes treat kids in this country, and uh, is that what we really want to be doing? Just one man's political observation. Once again, sorry for the political entry into the program. Well, I, but I think that there is a there's a context for that conversation, Ross. And and the context for that conversation is that collaborative problem solving works with kids, but it also works with each other. And and that 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 if if people's concerns aren't being heard, and and then and then coming to the table with an open mind to solve the problem, then nothing ever gets done in any arena. You could have people having long philosophical debates about the Bach cello suites and how to interpret the notes, and they can get very heated. Uh, and those conversations may seem trivial, but to the people involved, they're very important. I mean, you can use it in any context is what I'm saying. That's right. And people want to be heard, and at least in many countries where they don't take that for granted, um, they are willing to die for that right. Uh, that happened in this country a very long time ago. I'm just struck by how often we are dismissive, and truth is, even in politics these days in this country, how often we are immediately dismissive of the concerns of both parties. There's nothing to, uh, the, the concern of the other party. There's absolutely nothing to be gained by being dismissive of another entity's, another party's concerns. Everything to be gained by trying to understand what it is that they're trying to say and where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. I had a and great you know, one. Oh, go ahead. ahead. I, I just—it was funny because I—I—I've been trying to do more collaborative problem solving with my two and a half year old. Okay. And I, this is not unrelated, but I just, it's a little bit of a lighter note. And it's just that that my my wife said, "Are you doing CPS with him?" And I said, "Yes, I am." And 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 he, I learned that I, I had a really incredible aha moment where I realized that in order to talk to a to understand the concerns of a two and a half year old your energy needs to be so gentle that you can almost feel it in the air for them to open up. And he started telling me things. Um, and it was incredible. And it, it just, he, I, I just think it just goes to show that, that that piece, going back to the piece about empathy, that it's a skill, but it's also an action, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And it, it was really neat to see my little two-year-old boy, two, two-and-a-half-year-old boy who's just developing his language, tell me how he felt because I could get there with him. That's cool. I mean, two it, it was really old, cool. If they have the words, two-year-olds have a lot to say. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I remember the day um, my, my daughter is the older one. She's about two and a half years older than my son. And so he, when he was, you know, in his first two years, spent a little time watching collaborative problem solving being done with his sister. And it never dawned on me that he was sort of chomping at the bit. And you know what? Maybe this is just me seeing what I want to see. Anything's possible. But um, I remember the day that when the day came that I actually asked him about his concern or perspective on something, and it was hysterical. I, I, I will never forget how thrilled he seemed to be that I was finally asking about his concern or perspective on something because he had seen this being done with his sister quite a bit. Yeah. And it was almost like the kid was chomping at the bit. Um, kids have, you know, infants who are newborns have concerns. 
Um, they tend to be related to digestion and the way the diaper feels and the way the clothes feel that we've put on them that somebody gave us that they thought would look cute, um, all that stuff. But um, kids have concerns. So not only is the empathy step a skill, not only is it sort of is this technical thing, it is an acknowledgement that kids have legitimate concerns the, and that we need to be highly skilled at hearing those concerns, um, it's an acknowledgement, too. Absolutely, and I know I've said this one to you before, but I'm my, the poster in my wall that faces me, that I look at every day, says, the foundation of understanding is the willingness to listen. No author on I that like one, that. You know who said I, it? I try to claim it, but no. It, it, well, it's got a puppy and a kitten, so I don't know. Tell it to me again. I'll type it into my Google and see if anybody comes up. What is it again? It's the foundation of understanding is the willingness to listen. All right. We're about to find out if somebody very famous said that. Uh, Not so far. (laughs) But it's so true. Oh, look at this. Argus Communications from Allen, Texas, put out that poster of yours. Yes, they did. Because somebody's writing in on this website, I have an old poster, the foundation of understanding is the willingness to listen, and as a kitten and a puppy looking at each other. So there you go. They have your poster, too. However, I must say that that quote is, um, at the moment, under Google, not being attributed to anybody. So we'll say you said it. Perfect. I did. I just said it. <laughs> I did. I love that though. It's true. The interesting thing is, as Tom was saying, there's the willingness to listen and there's which is which I think comes first. But there's the skill of knowing how to do it. Isn't that amazing that um knowing how to listen is a skill and um that that many people feel like they're not that good at and why wouldn't they be good at it? They're they've already figured out what they thought the kid was going to say and they are sort of uh, no longer listening. Um they're asking questions um leading the witness in a way that causes them to take this in a completely different direction, in which case they are no longer really listening. Mm-hmm. They are asking questions in a way that causes the kid to become defensive, in which case he's no longer talking, in which case we're no longer listening. Um, and I and I think some of that I know I think I've mentioned this before too. I was a teacher before counseling, and I think by nature we're problem solvers. And I think sometimes, you know, we have limited time. We get together to talk about a kid and. You know, why do we think this kid's doing what he's doing and let's make a plan and as a team we got we have like 30 minutes together let's figure it out. So I think sometimes that's what teachers naturally do in their classroom up oh, that kid's got whatever going on and so they solve the problem right away in their head for the kid. Because it's just what I think what we create in our jobs. Well, and in that and case, they, we wouldn't call what they're doing collaborative. They may be problem no. solvers, but they would be right. better called unilateral problem solvers, not exactly. collaborative problem solvers. <laughs> I think they have to learn, the, but that's when they have to learn that skill of listening 
to before they can really make it collaborative because otherwise even even that just missing that empathy is more about okay tell me you know tell me from your side what happened okay here's how it's going to be next time you know even if they think they're doing that part sometimes they're really missing the depth of it what, it's what more I than felt, just oh, go ahead. no go ahead sorry no go ahead I was just going to say it's more than just tell me your side what happened it's more than that it's more than that quick you know tell me what happened and I'm now I'm going to tell you what we're going to do about it which is I think sometimes what when they think some people think they're being listeners well I asked them what happened no that's not the same you know they they really have to learn that skill and it doesn't always come easy I I think that's a great point, and I have a master's in school counseling as well, and I, I worked as a guidance counselor for a number of years, and I I, I think that the, the 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 key that I tell people is it's okay to have an idea about what you think is going on, and it's even better to be aware of that idea and then leave it at the door and sit and listen and use two basic things, clarify and summarize. When the When the person is talking to you, clarify their points, Ask questions that clarify where they're coming from. It's about them. And summarize what they've said to you and then ask for more clarity. Because if, And those are just two basic guidelines for people who are trying to be empathetic. But I think that, that they really are useful because it takes the, the, the me out of the conversation. So I'm having the conversation, but it's not about me because I'm clarifying and summarizing the other person's thoughts and feelings. And what I learned from Ross this summer is that it's more important to talk about the thoughts than, than about the feelings, and I thought that was really important, Ross, uh, at the the workshop that I went to with you this summer. That that those the thoughts are what lead us to the the lagging skills. You know, as I'm listening, though, I'm reflecting on the fact that um, many people who work with kids are trained as experts, and what expert sometimes translates into is that the adult feels a great deal of pressure. To know it all, yeah. to have solutions at the ready. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. The expertise to me, and, and so that's sort of the expert model. And adults feel that all they really need to do is get a general sense of what's getting in the kid's way, and then reflecting on their training, they will have many solutions at the ready. The the magic of doing collaborative problem solving is the knowledge that um, just getting a little bit of information doesn't give you enough to actually solve anything. And even more than that, it's not your job to be the expert on the solution anyways. Your training may come in handy as it relates to formulating potential solutions that could work, but the true expertise is in knowing how to gather the information from the child so as to truly understand what's getting in his way. And then the other true artistry, if we want this kid to be able to solve problems at some point in his life um, and possibly even do it collaboratively, is to not be an expert, to not have all the answers. Um, And that's very hard for people who are trained as experts. I'm reflecting on many professions where there's a big complaint that the person really doesn't listen to them Mm-hmm. Um, and simply just tells them what to do without necessarily, and some people refer to it as bedside manner, but where, boy, you know, it's almost an epidemic 
people out there complaining that somebody who they turned to for help didn't seem to be listening very carefully and simply told them what to do. So true. Shall we turn to one email, which is really all we have time for here? Sure. Let's turn to an email. Uh, This is a... uh, I am a graduate student pursuing my doctorate in clinical psychology. I am currently enrolled in school and enjoying a practicum placement in two elementary schools. Cool. I did the same thing. Uh, Learned more than graduate school could have ever taught me, by the way. Uh, My supervisor is leading a book club with Lost at School that includes the principal guidance counselor and a handful of teachers and classroom aides. Now I'm in heaven. (laughs) I am a believer in collaborative problem solving. That's always good to know. I have not only found it useful in my work with children, but also in flexing my worldview. Outstanding. Glad we talked about Egypt today, eh? (laughs) In looking at disruptive behavior as a maladaptive solution to a problem and as a result of underdeveloped skills, My stamina in working with difficult children has increased substantially. Beautiful. Um, I am wondering, and I'm only reading part of this because one part of the email is the part that we'll cover today. I might cover another part of it on the next radio program for educators. But I'm wondering, um, some teachers seem to be really stuck on the idea that some children know better. Um. Other than having teachers read the book, how do you respond to this argument in particular? The kid knows better. You guys want to take a crack at that and then I'll weigh in? What do you say to people who say uh, he knows better? Uh, would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? Go for it. Well, um depends on how gentlemanly we want to be on this program, but I don't nope. think Kate really cares. <laughs> no, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> you take well, that one. I pretty... I would say kids do well if if you believe the kids do well if they can. Yeah. Why would they behave maladaptively if they can behave adaptively or solve their problems adaptively? Why are they why are they choosing maladaptive behavior if if they can do otherwise? Kate, want to weigh in? I just I can hear the answer to that because they want attention. You know that that's the conversation sometimes because, you know, they want something else out of that situation instead of, you know, doing whatever it is that the teacher's requesting them to do that they know better. Well, it's because they just want attention so bad. I get that one a lot. Yes. Um, but then the, the, with, the cliche at this point, it's so common. I know. Yeah, and, and, but I think that the, the, the response to that is, if they want attention, why can't they get attention adaptively? Right. Because there are ways to get attention that are adaptive, and they're still choosing a maladaptive way to get attention. So what's up with that? And You know, it's interesting. I think he knows better gives us a a few opportunities. First of all, like a lot of things that people say about challenging kids that are cliches, my uh, common response is, how do you mean? I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I like to know what the person, first of all, I like to sort of um, see if the cliche has any meat on the bone. I love it. That's great. Can you say that because one more time? Sometimes, 
some people, well, some people, some people just say stuff because it's sort of what they automatically say, right? Um, uh, he, he's doing it for attention. It is not necessarily even something that somebody might have even given a great deal of thought to. They've just said it. So I often like to see if there's any meat on the cliché bone. <laughs> and I'm often going to ask, what do you mean? Cause, and then if they say, well, you know, I'm going to say, not a, not a, I'm, I'm, I have a feeling I know what you mean, but I'd like to understand what you mean better than I do at this moment. And it would be the same for he's manipulative. It would be the same for, you know what kind of home he comes from. It would be the same for any cliche. I don't think he's motivated. Uh, um, if he really wanted to do it, he could do it. I'm often these days encouraging people to simply ask the person what it is exactly that they mean, because otherwise we are going with an assumption that we do know what they mean, when in fact they may not even know what they mean. And now you know what they say about what happens when you assume. But here's the other interesting thing. I would completely agree. He does know better. This is the interesting thing about students with behavioral challenges. I think they know right from wrong as well as anybody else knows right from wrong. This is not a matter of not knowing. So does he know better? Actually, we've got a nice opportunity here for common ground. I agree. He does know better. Now what we've got to figure out is why, even though he knows better, he isn't always doing what he knows. And that is a nice segue into lagging skills. And if it looks like he knows better under some conditions but doesn't know better under others, well, either he knows better or he doesn't. So either he knows what it is that we're looking for, what kind of behavior we're looking for, and what kind of behavior we'd like to discourage, or he doesn't. If he does, now we have begun the hard task of trying to figure out why under some conditions is he able to perform what he knows while under under conditions... He's not able to perform what he knows. And now, and this is the interesting thing. I find that sometimes people who are sort of wrapped up in the collaborative problem-solving way of thinking, and that's a wonderful thing, sometimes we forget how long it took us to get there. I didn't, I didn't get to the collaborative problem-solving way of thinking overnight. It took me years. So there wasn't any pithy thing that somebody could say to me that would have sort of turned me around instantaneously. That, that happened gradually with people asking me what I meant and helping me understand that these kids weren't, it's not that they didn't know better, it's not that they didn't know, it's that they were lacking the skills and that those lagging skills were especially biting us in the conditions in which they were being demanded. So this is what I love. I love he knows better. I think it's a great thing for somebody to say. It says that they're actually maybe thinking about this a little bit but it gives us a few great opportunities to, number one, gather more information about what it is that they actually mean, and number two, potentially, believe it or not, even agree with them. What do you guys think? It's great. Yeah, and I think, too, it's, uh, you could say, well, I appreciate that you're recognizing that the child does have those skills some of the time. So exactly that leads right to the conversation about what times are you not seeing those skills or are you right. not seeing that, that behavior, yeah. 
And there is the belief, of course, that if he has the skills, he should have them under all conditions. Wow. No. And one of the things I'm often asking people, this is this is really beautiful. If we are now talking about the specific conditions in which a kid is having difficulty, well, then we are simultaneously taking a look at the specific aspects of those conditions that he must be struggling with, and that helps us understand him even better. I'm sorry to report we are out of time for today. I adore this program that we do monthly. I wish we could do it every week. We can't do it every week, but thank you both for being on the program again today. We'll have you back again next month, as always. So thank you, Tom. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Thank you. And um, we're going to have to call it a day for today. So um, thank you for listening in to all the rest of you. And um, uh talk to you when we have the next uh, collaborative problem solving at school. Once again, it won't be next week because that is, um, well, I won't be here next But it will be the week after that, we hope. In the meantime, good luck with collaborative problem solving. Take care.